Okay, we want to get in tonight to lesson six on the tabernacle. I am going to bore you to tears because that's what it's about tonight, it's boards. We're going to study boards. Doesn't that sound exciting? You worked all day. You braved traffic. Some of you haven't eaten dinner. Braved the elements so you could come here and hear about boards tonight. So this is lesson number six. And tonight we're going to look at the foundation and the framework of the tabernacle. Uh, the whole framework and foundation of the tabernacle is found in Exodus 26 in just 15 verses, verses 15 through 30. And we're talking about just the framework, the boards, you see it here. Uh, there's going to be 48 boards that sit in 96 sockets. And of course, these boards are overlaid with gold. They're made out of shittim wood or shittim wood. And uh, this is looking at the structure before the curtains and the coverings are placed on it that we studied last week. Uh, and uh, we see the door that faces eastward. And then, of course, that is where the curtain that hangs on the five pillars. And then we are looking into the veil that separates the holy from the holy place that hangs on four pillars. We're not going to discuss those pillars tonight. Uh, everything here is of great significance. I uh, got lost in study uh, when we studied the design of each one of these boards. Thank you so much. We will find out that uh, those of you that do chemical analysis, that uh, the equation comes to that of salt. And salt's to be offered uh, with every sacrifice. And then it gets in also to the star signs, the sign of the Star of David. So many mathematical things hidden in these. We won't go that deep of a level tonight because we want to bore you, bore you about these boards. So in Exodus 26 and 15... And thou shalt make boards for the tabernacle of Shittim wood standing up. So I'm reading Exodus 26 and 15. The first thing we want to do is we begin to examine a structure that God has given us a blueprint to build. Is obviously it has of utmost importance or he would not have given us this blueprint in such detail. He would have just said, hey, build me a tent and I'll meet with you there. But this thing is built by the mouth, the word, and the mind of the creator of the universe. And so what we see is in the Bible, shittim or shittim is the way it's actually pronounced. Shittim wood is actually acacia wood. Now, as we study acacia wood, there are hundreds of species of acacia trees, and they are a very remarkable tree. I wanted to understand because I knew that these people were in a wilderness, they were in a desert, and I saw the dimensions and things of the boards, and I'm somebody that wants to know how it works. I want to know if it can really happen. Uh, I, by faith, I believe it, and I just want the facts. So the word shatim is used 32 times in Scripture, and only 32 times. And so what's amazing is the first place that the word is used is in the materials to construct the tabernacle. And then we see where shatim is the only type of wood that is going to be used in the building of the tabernacle. The only thing mentioned in the Bible that shatim is ever used to build are going to be the furnishings, and the structure of the tabernacle itself. Uh, when we do a short study on shatim wood, I took this uh, picture off the internet. Uh, you see this large tree, it's growing in the middle of the desert. And it is an amazing thing because God didn't say build it out of cedar. He didn't say build it. He had a specific reason for every word he speaks, which means we can spend a lot of time studying every jot and every tittle and grow closer as we grow in faith of his word. So we find out that, number one, this is a tree that survives in the desert. 
Uh, what is hilarious is the single most remote tree ever found was a shatim, an acacia tree. It was around 430 miles away from any other seedlings or any other trees, just in the middle of nowhere. And in 1973, some guy accidentally drove over and knocked it down the truck. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we see where when we look at this, uh, and we're looking at the tabernacle as typologies of the Messiah, types of God, types of Christ, types of a believer, we see that in the desert where this thing grows, it's actually a place of shade. It's a place of shelter. It's a place of refreshing. The reason that the acacia tree is able to survive, obviously, in such a barren wilderness is because it has extremely deep roots. Now that speaks to us of connection with living water. And so we're going to see that it speaks not just of Christ, but it speaks as you and I as followers of Christ and believers also. It's also, and I like this because there's still hope for me, if it is a type of the believer, it's also a very slow-growing tree. Amen. And as we're growing in the Lord, that gives us hope. It's also very dense. My wife would say, yeah, that probably is you. But it's a very dense wood, and it also is pretty much disease and insect resistant. So when we look at just the things I've already mentioned, if we would take these as an analogy towards a Christian, these would all be good things that we're not bothered by the uh, wiles of the enemy, that uh, we are continually growing, that we have our root down deep like a tree planted by the water. And then the other thing about this tree is it's not something you'd probably want to dine on, but the pods of the tree actually can be boiled in like lentils or something. You can make a porridge. They can be used for food. And then we see where the resins of this tree, which of course are what keep it insect uh, resistant and rot resistant and disease resistant, uh, they have amazing qualities and properties because this tree's resins are used to create pharmaceuticals and also preservatives. And uh, I don't know, I see spell check didn't catch my word preservatives there. Uh, but the interesting thing about this tree is that it has thorns. It's also a very beautiful dark red hardy wood when highly, uh, highly finishable to a very great luster, a beautiful wood. But I see the picture underneath the tree if you can see those large thorns that are on it. And it's interesting to me that Jesus wore a crown of thorns. Does not say what that crown was made out of, but there are many acacia and types of acacia trees around. Could it be the fulfillment of the crowning glory of the tabernacle which Christ was. I don't know. That's just a thought I thought I would throw out there at you. So this acacia wood is a type of Christ. Uh, to fulfill its purpose, we need to recognize to be placed in the service of God, number one, it had to be cut off from its source. And this is exactly what we saw Jesus Christ in actually two ways. And you and I as a believer, we had to die to self. We had to be buried, so to speak, so we could be resurrected. We had to be cut off from our source of the love of this world and our firstborn nature. But also Christ, in order to be able to be fully used in the hand of the Father, had to be cut off from his source at Calvary. And this is when he cries out, why did you forsake me? In Isaiah chapter 53, it says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. And so we see the reference or the reference uh, that Isaiah makes, why does it mention dry ground? Well, this is exactly what an acacia tree grows in. He hath no form nor comeliness. There's nothing when you look at this acacia tree covered with thorns. Uh, it does produce a little yellowish flower. It's interesting that certain of the acacia trees, the one that probably was used, has five leaves, like the five wounds of Christ. But uh, 
It says, so he drew up out of dry ground. There's no form nor comeliness when we shall see him. Isaiah 53 and 2, there's no beauty, nothing that we should desire of him. Yet it is from his blood, by his stripes, we are healed. There's our pharmaceuticals. It's by his blood that we are preserved. There's the preservatives. It's by his broken body that we eat. We make the bread. So we can see many typologies just as we begin to talk about these boards that are used that God would live behind. Now, in Isaiah 53 and 8, it tells us he was taken from prison and from the judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living. And once again, this, as we follow what God tells us to do to build this tabernacle, we recognize they did not go down to the local Jed's Hardware or uh, uh, Lowe's or uh, uh, Home Depot and pick up some boards. There was a tremendous amount of work just to get this first accomplishment done before they began to overlay it with gold. First thing they had to do was remove the thorns. And I can once again look at this as a type of a believer. This is what God does. First they had to cut the tree down. Then they had to begin to remove the thorns. And we can just keep going through the process. Of 32 times that this word shatim is used, only five times in the word uh, is this word shatim not used in referring to the tabernacle. Now I find this very enlightening to me. It speaks of a story. I'll share it with you and see if it's uh, a coincidence of the word or the mind of God. So out of 32 times, the first place it's ever used, it's used strictly to speak of building the tabernacle and then so that means 27 of 32 times it's directly correlated to the building of the house of God. But God yet allows this word to be used five more times. Let's look at them. The first place in Numbers 25 and 1. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredoms with the daughters of Moab. Shittim is also a place where man dwelt. Let's stay in the theme. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun went out of Shittim, and two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land even Jericho, and they went and they came into a harlot's house named Raham, and we know the story, and, and they lodged there. So remember, Shittim is not in the promised land. Shittim is on the other side of Jordan. Shittim is there by the, the mountains of Moab. It's almost straight across from Jerusalem, across the Dead Sea, and uh, a little north of there, across the Jordan River to the east there. Joshua 3 and 1. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and they lodged there before they passed over. So for some reason, God is going to see to it that we understand, number one, the children of Israel began to commit whoredoms in Shittim. Number two, we find out that the spies had to leave Shittim to go look at the promised land. Number three, we see that whenever they are getting ready to enter into the new birth, or come across the Jordan that it, for some reasons, mentions that they leave Shittim. And when you study that, Shittim's a distance from the Jordan River. So they could have mentioned the place of the crossing. He could have mentioned some other things. I believe there's a reason in the mind of God that he's hiding these messages. Let's look at the next two. In Micah 6 and 5, O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim and to the Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. So... What we're seeing is, these four times, the only other places the word Shittim is used is referring to where man dwells before he enters the promised land. Now, if you don't see this, this is what I see. Maybe it's a coincidence. In other words, 
it is a direct correlation in my mind to these boards being a type of the believer. And I know where we're going to end up tonight. You don't yet. And when we look at the boards, we obviously know that the boards wood does not represent deity. But yet we see where the walls of the tabernacle, the house of God, are first made out of wood, and we've described that. And therefore, what I see is, is when we are born again, and we then, and it's never mentioned once they get in the promised land. Isn't that amazing? Because now we're no longer shatim wood. Why not? Because we have now been born, we've been covered with the glory of God, with deity. We are a dual-natured being as Christ was, who had the spirit without measure, represented by uh, the gold. But in Joel chapter 3, verse 18, And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters, and a fountain shall come forth out of the house of the Lord, and shall water the valley of Shittim. So I believe that this final place that the word is used is he's allowing us to understand the nations, the unbeliever, the unrighteous will have opportunity to be redeemed. This is speaking now of the coming Messiah and the thousand-year millennium. So what you're finding out is, is that many times in Bible study, when you look at a word uh, and it's used many times someplace, and you sometimes need to look at how it's used uh, for, for another subject matter to find out, wow, there's a story in both angles of this thing hidden in the Word of God. Now, when we look at Shatim wood, and it's covered with gold, we see, of course, where it's a picture of redeemed man. In the New Testament, when we look at 1 Corinthians 3.16, what did we say the tabernacle is? Well, number one, it's a type of Christ who tabernacled with man. But you've got to remember, the temple's not here anymore, 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you. We are the wood that's been covered with gold. We are now the tabernacle of God. We are the temple of God. And uh, we, we collectively, tonight as we have come together in this local uh, fellowship of believers, we collectively make up the local tabernacle of the presence of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, in this same thought, I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. So when this corruptible, when this wood, when this corruptible shall have put, shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. We have been covered with a timeless, precious thing. In the tabernacle plan, we are a wood that's disease-resistant. We are hearty. We knew how to put our roots down deep. But how long does gold last? Forever. You can't destroy it. You can keep refining it. And so... What we're seeing is, is that in these nuances and these hidden meanings and these phraseologies, if we'll just let our mind think about what God is trying to share with us, He's sharing with us the beautiful story of even though we may die here in the land of the living, we're not eternal, but what He has robed us in, what He has put us placed around us, it's an eternal thing. And this is what we get out of it. Exodus 26 and 15. So I told you we're going to bore you about these boards tonight. 
Exodus 26, 15. Let's look at something else, and I'm just in the first of the 15 verses as he gives us the instructions for these boards. And thou shalt make boards for the tabernacle of Shittim wood standing up. Why would he say that? I want you to go make some boards standing up. Now he's talking about not you standing up while you're making them, but these boards are going to stand up. The word stand means to remain in the Hebrew here and as well in the Greek, and to endure. And so it's a phraseology, and, and I, I could wear you out with the scriptures that will tie to this. I'm going to give you a couple. Number one, we're building the house of God. We are the boards that are covered with gold. It is a type of Christ. When you have done all you can do to stand, just stand. Psalms 1 and 5, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The only thing that can stand in the presence of God are those that have been redeemed, those that have been covered with gold. And this is what, this is what uh, the thought process throughout the whole Bible. There's two types of people. And wood itself, where's wood used in the temple? Anybody know where wood's used in the temple or the tabernacle? It's burnt on the altar. You with me out there? So it, it, that's, that's the purpose of the wood, to be burnt. He says, I'll gather in that last day. So Psalms 27, Psalms chapter 20, verse 7 through 8. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and we stand upright. So as the mind of God gives the psalmist the things to say, we recognize why would God say, you're going to make these boards of shatim wood standing up? Because I believe with all my heart they represent the believer. You'll see more here in just a moment. In Galatians 5 and 1, stand fast, therefore in the liberty. In other words, remain and endure. And this is exactly, when I look at this, these words, remain and endure, this is exactly what the house of God was made to do. Uh, when we look at how it's joined together with the tenons, and we look together at the bars of, that hold it together, and the foundation, it gets, uh, uh, it's made to weather any storm. And you're going to see how God looks at us as a congregation, and how he looks at humanity and our purpose as brothers and sisters one in another. So the other item of the tabernacle that's built of shittim wood, he, he builds the ark of shittim wood, he has them build the table of shewbread of shittim wood. He has them build the altar of incense of shittim wood. The altar of sacrifice is built of shittim wood. It's covered with brass. These others are all covered with gold. It's the one I'm talking about in the outer court, not in the tabernacle itself. All the staves for the transporting above, all the boards and all the pillars. So this is a great picture, and I could harp on this for a while. It's a great picture as we've studied each piece of these furnishings of the tabernacle of how they were overlaid with gold. These are the items that would be used for this wood. And once again, when it's not speaking of these items and the word shatim is used, it is always referring to man that needs to be covered. He's not in the promised land, and he's in the middle of doing something that's not perfect behavior towards God or trying to get closer to the Lord. All right. So we're going to go on now to Exodus 26 and read verses 15 through 17. Uh, once again, verse 15. And thou shalt make the boards for the tabernacle of Shittim wood standing up. Ten cubits shall be the length of a board, and a cubit and a half shall be the breadth of one board. 
Two tenons shall there be in one board and set in order one against another. Thus shall thou make for all the boards of the tabernacle. Now, what we're looking at is these boards are going to be joined one to another. And he's just given us the dimensions of each board. And we look at this word uh, that there is to be two tenons in each board. The word tenon in Hebrew is yod. And yod, uh, the definition is hand. Each board has two hands. Notice each board's to be set in order one against another. Now, I'm not going to go into this. You can look up all the scriptures, but we are to join hands one with another. We collectively make up the house of God. None of us standing on our own makes up the whole ball of wax. God has planned for us to come together and collectively be in unity. This is what they're speaking of. You'll know them for the love they have one for another. Uh, I could say so much about that, but I'm going to teach and not preach. Okay, so let's move on. In Exodus chapter 26, I'm going to continue with verses 18 through 22. And thou shalt make the boards for the tabernacle, twenty boards on the south side, southward. And thou shalt make forty sockets of silver under the twenty boards, two sockets under one board for his two tenons, and two sockets under another board for his two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side, there shall be twenty boards. And there are forty sockets of silver, two sockets under one board, and two sockets under another board. Now, if I would walk you through all of this, there are 48 boards that make up the tabernacle, counting the two corner pieces, okay? And uh, when we finish, you'll actually find out, and I'm getting ahead of myself, that there are going to be 100 sockets of silver. And each of these board sets on a silver, he calls it, socket. Uh, and actually, the word for socket in Hebrew... Uh, uh, these 48 boards that on the 96 sockets of silver, and then we're going to have the, uh, the pillars that the veil of the tabernacle will hang on, uh, the pillars that the veil will hang on, it'll end up being 100 sockets total. But this word socket is used 54 times in Scripture, and only once, only one time is it not directly connected to the foundation of the tabernacle. So I'm wanting us to understand that the word socket in Hebrew is quite interesting because the word socket, if I say it in Hebrew, is Eden. And what we're looking at is these boards are covered with gold. They've been cut off from the earth. He's not going to join them again to the earth. He's not going to join them again to the world. They've got to be set on a different foundation from which they were taken from. And so this foundation that each of these boards is going to set in is a foundation of silver. The only time that this word socket or Eden is not used to speak of a direct application as the foundation of the tabernacle is in the Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 15. Interesting, because it's describing the theophany or the picture of God. His legs are as pillars of marble, set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is Lebanon, and excellent as the cedars. So we see again, so this word socket means the pedestals or the foundation, and actually uh, on a deeper meaning it means the foundations of the world. Uh, also I need to make mention uh, 
that even though uh, sockets, if you say it in Hebrew, is Eden, that you do not say Eden for the word Eden. They are parallel and very similar words, but it is not the identical word, but it's still quite interesting that exactly what we're doing is, is we are going back to eternity whenever we walk in the tabernacle. It is a place that is going, uh, it's the, where God dwells, the timeless one. So this is what uh, I think will be quite intriguing. Some of you I'm sure will know this, but God says that we learn by asking questions. So just as we examine where did the acacia or the shatim wood come from, we need to examine and ask ourselves where did they get this foundation of silver? This is a lot of silver to make a foundation for each one of these boards. And of course, we don't see where they took time to stop and mine for silver while they were leaving Egypt. So we know that they took the wealth of Egypt, that they were, and, and actually for those of you that don't know, they did not take anything that did not belong to them. Uh, you need to understand that uh, what a man sows, he shall reap. And just as Pharaoh uh, commanded the children that were being born by the midwives to be drowned in the river, then Pharaoh ends up being drowned. He sowed that, he had to reap that. But what we actually see is they actually took the wages that they should have been paid while they were slaves in Egypt. So it wasn't like God had them plunder the people. Uh, in the mind of, of God, in the mind of them at that time, they actually just took what they had been owed and been for all the years they had not been paid. So, said that to say this, and you're sure you've read ahead. Let's look at where the silver came from. This is kind of a tough job. You, you, you've got to do some research. We did it. Let's find it. So where did this silver come from for the foundation for the sockets? And the Lord spoke to Moses in Exodus 30, verse 11 through 15. Exodus 30, verse 11 and 15, through 15. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, When you take the sum of the children of Israel after their number, then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord. And when thou numberest them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. This they shall give. Now, in other words, he's saying every man has to pay a ransom. And he's going to give it to the house of God. Now, I'm sure you've already made the correlation. But number one, this is why the Bible tells us you have been bought with a price. You kidnap someone because you want to collect a ransom. We were kidnapped, so to speak, by Hasatan, by Satan. And we owed a debt and a price that we could not pay. And so you see where a portion of the redeeming work of the Mashiach, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, a portion of the work that he did is he was given as a ransom. He was the payment. He was the only thing that could pay the price for the one that had kidnapped the children of God, which is what humanity was. And so, let's go on. In verse 13, This shall they give everyone that passes among them that are numbered half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary. Now, just so you'll know, a shekel is 20 geras, and a half shekel shall be the offering of the Lord. And everyone that passes among them that are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering unto the Lord, and the rich shall not give any more, and the poor shall not give any less than a half shekel. And when they give this offering unto the Lord, it is to make the atonement for their souls. So we see that with this half shekel uh, is a payment 
It is the redemption price. It is the ransom and the atonement price for each of them that God set free. And this was paid in silver. And we are getting to the place to where did the silver come from that is used for the foundation of the house of God. Foundation is important to the Lord. Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world in the, light, in the thought of God. So with that in mind, in Exodus 38, if we'll jump ahead of the story, and the silver of them that were numbered of the congregation was a hundred talents and a thousand seven hundred and three score and fifteen shekels after the shekels of the sanctuary. A becca for every man, that is half a shekel, after the shekel of the sanctuary, for everyone that went to be numbered from twenty years old and upward, for six hundred thousand and three thousand and five hundred and fifty men. It's the number of letters in the Torah, by the way. Same number of men he brought out of Egypt. So that's probably a coincidence too, huh? When you read the Torah, same number of letters as the males, adult males that he brought out of Egyptian bondage. God's an amazing mathematician. Now, I want us to notice that you can do the math and you can take these amounts of silver, turn them into talent, a talent, begin to do the division by the number of people, and you can find out after you find out how much each of the sockets weighs, how much is left over for them to build the remainder of the tabernacle. Verse 27, and of the hundred talents of silver were cast the sockets of the sanctuary. So that's important. If you're taking notes or if you're listening, uh, we have, this is absolutely God's plan, is the ransom and the atonement is the foundation of the house of God. I don't know if you're catching that. In other words, this whole thing that we enjoy, all the beauty of the cherubims, all the beauty of the gold, all the beauty of the freedom, everything that we are enjoying that God has given us in the new birth rests upon one thing that keeps it all together. And that is the atonement that He paid and the ransom price. And we know the foundation is the blood. And if you take time to study this even deeper, you're going to find out the price of a man's life, what the Bible accounts it worth. You're going to find out the price of a lamb. We know that a man was to be redeemed by blood. And we're going to find out that each one of these boards represents the redemption price of a lamb because each man was redeemed by a lamb. And each one of these boards has to sit in an identical foundation for no foundation can any other man lay. And we see that God now is giving us a picture of His church, that we have joined hands, we have come together in unity to surround the glory of God. So this foundation of ransom and atonement, uh, the price paid for a man. Let's find this. So here's the value of a man's life. So each board sat in one talent of silver. This was the price of a lamb to redeem the firstborn male. You'll find this uh, as you study around Exodus chapter 13 and 13. So the... Bible places this scripture in 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 39. Why would there be a talent, each board set in a talent of gold? Well, in 1 Kings 20, And as the king passed by, he cried unto the king, and he said, Thy servant went out into the midst of battle, and behold, a man turned aside, and he brought a man unto me and said, Keep this man, if by any means he be missing, then shall thy life be for his life, or else thou shalt pay a talent of silver. And so what we see in the scripture 
is that in battle, in this war, that should a life be taken, that a man's life was estimated at a talent of silver. Now, we're worth much more to that than God. But the analogy that I'm trying to make with that is this, that you see that each, each single board representing a believer, covered with gold, sets in a talent of silver, which was the redemptive price of a lamb, which, was the, which is what Christ did for each single individual. And we see that he paid the price for every man. He didn't just pay it for one man, but for everyone that makes up the tabernacle of God. Does that make sense? So you say, well, boy, that's a coincidence, or you're stretching the scripture. Well, I don't know if we are or not, but I'll just tell you this. It's sure a lot of beauty woven into the Word of God between the Old and the New Testament. And it lets you understand, first off, what is amazing to me is, is I've studied slightly the five great religions, and I've read other manuscripts, and I won't call the names, but when you read some of the other manuscripts, first off, uh, there is no way that any writer thousands of years ago would have sat down and made up this formula to build this house, and then it fits so perfectly throughout the rest. I mean, it's just, it's just unheard of. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversations, received by traditions from your father, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So we are not making the statement that we were redeemed by silver. We are showing the typology that this silver was the ransom and the redemptive and the atoning price and it is the type of Christ who was the tabernacle of God. So it wasn't the silver, but it was the blood in the future that would pay the price for us. First Timothy 2 and 6, speaking of Christ, who gave himself a ransom for us all to be testified in due times. Then Romans 5 and 11, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have received the atonement. Do you know why the foundation of the sockets is so important? Because he told us these boards were to stand upright. And we've covered the typology of that. And we've done all we can do to stand, stand. But I don't trust in chariots. I don't trust in horses. What am I trusting in? I'm trusting in the sure foundation that I'm standing on. When people have faith issues, let me tell you the very fundamental foundational problem that they don't even realize that they are really, have, has been stolen from them. When we have faith issues with God, the biggest issue that you will find with people is they have already lost sight of the fact that it is these sockets, this foundation that I'm standing on that keeps the board from falling. It's not the work of my wooden life. It's not the works of my flesh. But it is the work of the atonement and the redemption of Christ. And as long as I keep faith in the salvation of God and the redemptive price of God, then the board will not fail. The board will stand. This is the whole purpose of redemption. It keeps us standing before God. Because when we stand before God, we're not coming before God as just a piece of thorny wood. Thorny wood. We're coming before God as robed in gold as someone that's been redeemed, who's not of this world, who our foundation is no longer standing in the principles and the doctrines of the world, but we are now standing on the promise of the blood that covers all of our sins, has made us perfect, washes away 
Do you see what I'm saying? So that's why Jude writes in chapter 1, verse 24, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I'm closing with this thought. So as we move into uh, the arena of we don't feel worthy, let, let me express to you, if you've ever had a friend and suddenly they don't call you as much as they used to or you don't see them as much as you used to and then it, they grow more distant and further and uh, let me just express to you exactly what's happened. They've wronged you. And when you wrong somebody, you first you quit looking them in the eye and when you've wronged somebody, then you slowly begin to put distance between you and them. And when you've wronged somebody, just the sheer guilt or hate or whatever you have in your heart begins to separate you. And this is no different in the kingdom of God. That is the work of the enemy, by the way. Amen. That the work of the enemy is to break our tenons, to break our fellowship. He hates it when we are in unity and we stand upright, one with another on the sure foundation, and we're looking at nothing but the inner glory of this kingdom that we're in. And so I said that to say this, because as a pastor now, what you find out is this is no different in the spirit realm. When people begin to wrong God, they begin to put a distance between them and God. You will not find God putting a distance between Him and man. That is the purpose of the tabernacle. The only distance He ever put between you and I was the skin. You can come boldly now before the throne of grace. And so what we've got to understand is, is that if we have wronged God, just as Adam did in the garden, by the way, it's interesting to look up the first place the word yod or hand is used, uh, but what we see is, is we see that God went looking for Adam, and when we study priesthood and we study all these things, it builds my faith. I realize there is no one on earth that is able to pluck me out of the Father's yod. The only thing that can get me out of the Father's hand is me being deceived and me allowing to think that I need to put a distance between he and I because I'm wronging him. And the truth of the matter is, you belong to him. And he is a friend that come, he, he's an ever-present help in your time of need. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But he will in no wise cast you out. And what he's saying is, look, I've forgotten the wrong. I've made an atonement. I, I, I've paid the ransom. I don't have problems with what you've done that's wronged me. So what you've got to have is faith in what I've given you to stand. Having done all you've done, I'm twisting the scripture, it's alright, just put on the armor of God and stand. A righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets back up. So I'm just trying to point out that the beauty of the picture of, we're just talking about now the structure, the framework of the tabernacle is the fact that we are coupled in to a foundation of redemption that nothing on earth, if, if in God forgive me for saying it like this, but if you became a mass murderer, God can still forgive someone that has faith in His blood. And this is what the faith is for. We are so used to conditional love that every one of us feels like... Let me just tell you, the true worshipers in the house of God are not always the holiest people in the house. And I said true worshipers. I didn't say the hypocrites. 
And I'll close with this thought. Because the true worshipers, I'm a worshiper, they have learned and they understand the price that was paid and the beauty of what they've been given. And rather than fall into condemnation, and rather than fall into separation, they come boldly now. They may have just been through the worst mistake they ever made. And the thing the enemy wants to get you to do is sit on the back row or not come to church that day. But the truth is that's the very day you need to run on down and, and shout for joy and get a hold of what we call the horns of the altar and have more faith now than you've ever had in the, in the foundation that won't let the board fall. You see, if you don't make heaven, it's not God's fault. He did not come to condemn you he came to help you stand, be covered with gold. And this is exactly what Jude's saying. Now to him that is able to keep you from falling, he says, I want you to make these boards stand upright. But you know what he knew? He knew a board won't stand upright. Oh, you might balance it for a moment. But one little wind, one little tremor come along. So he knew we couldn't stand on our own. So he covers us with his deity. He robes us with his uh, spirit. And then what's he do? He says, now I'm going to anchor you into this thing that is the foundation price that I paid. You have been redeemed. You are not your own. I can keep you from falling and I can present you faultless before the presence of his glory because the enemy wants to turn you back into a tree, just a thorny old life that's dense and hard and sitting in a dry and a dead place. And God wants to turn around and allow you to be used in the glory of His presence, in the glory of His kingdom. And I think that's it for lesson number six.